Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq. Hello, everyone. We are coming to you on our episode here we're calling Retirement in Action. The purpose of this show and what we really are trying to accomplish here is to go back through and talk about how we put into action what you just heard. So the the put into action part is really around the episode we uh, you heard here on Monday where we talked with Tom Turner around taxes in retirement. And we know that when we're talking sometimes in our world, um, Merce and I or some other person who does these things for a living, we might use terms, we might ask a question, we might get into something and, 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 we, and we say it and somebody's like, well, what does that even mean? Or I want to go back through that one more time and see if I can't get it in my head. And obviously, you might be listening to us and can't make the note. So what we've done is, is that we're bringing on... Um, Morgan Dunn. She's our chief operating officer in our firm, and and uh, she is a fantastic uh, operations person when it comes to the office, but she's not a financial planner. So we asked her, we said, we want you to listen to our show, and when we say something or we maybe go over something too quick, make a note, and then we're going to do a show where we go back through some of those technical things, and we're going to handle those questions. And then Merce, who builds all of our retirement income plans and helps us with all the planning is going to talk about how do we put it into action? How do we take that thing, whatever that thing is, and put it into a plan into your retirement plan? So that's what we're going to do. So uh, Morgan, you've got the, the first question here to kind of help us get our conversation started so we can go back through and talk about some of these possibly complicated things that we talked around in, in taxes. Right. So one of the first topics that we discussed with Tom was tax brackets. Um, so my question about that was, um, he mentioned the 12%, 22%, 32%. .32%. Are there brackets in between those or is that, is that it? Yeah, I think this is probably one of the biggest questions. That's why we wanted to make sure we talked to him about it. There's actually a multiple of brackets and those brackets change based on current tax code. So for example, right now we're in a particular bracket range that was just recently created, and it's supposed to go away in 2025. But the way it works now is you've basically got a 10% bracket, a 12%, 22, 24, 32, 35, and 37. So all these different layers, you basically have money that's being taxed within a certain range. So now our biggest range is the one that Tom talked about, which is 12%. 12% pretty much takes you up to $80,000. So if you're making $75,000 for the majority of the money, you're getting, you're paying around 12% on that from a federal tax perspective. Then it goes to uh, 22%, and that's going to take you up to about $171,000. Now, these are all uh, married filing jointly numbers that I'm saying. So if you were single, uh, you're going to be in the 12% bracket only up to about 40,000. So just kind of double the number if you're married versus single. It's almost about that um, mathematical equation there. So 
Uh, yes, those brackets can change. And I just want to re remind you that just when you go into another bracket, that's only for the money above that bracket that you're going into the next phase. So uh, we talked about an example of going to 82,000. Only the $2,000 is going to be at the next bracket, which in that example would go from 12 to 22. And so we're only going up to that next notch at that point. Now, my question is, and thank you for bringing that up, Morgan. Now let's just transition this a little bit and let's talk to Merce and say, Merce, when we talk about brackets and we put that into a retirement income plan, what does that mean for the retirement income plan? Yeah, I think that's a huge topic. Um, you know, a lot of times we're working with people that are thinking about retirement. They're not quite there yet and they make their salary, whatever it is, and they really have a good idea as to, um, you know, what their taxes are going to be that year because they've been doing it for a very long time in that, in that income range. And then all of a sudden they get to this concept of retirement and that income goes away, right? And, but you have other things that are starting to click in. You have things like social security, like a pension. Uh, if you're older, you've got required minimum distributions coming into play. And a lot of times, you know, the question is, well, what's my tax? What are my taxes going to be like when I am retired, when I don't have that paycheck coming in from my career. So uh, in our retirement income planning process, we have the ability to simulate that and say, okay, well, if you take Social Security, say it's 66, you're going to have this layer coming in and that layer coming in. And here's what it's going to look like from a tax perspective. So we have software that runs that for us. And that also takes us into a realm of, you know, uh, strategizing as to how we can potentially reduce and minimize the impact of certain things uh, while we are in retirement and plan for certain things down the road. All right. Well, thank you. Um, so what's our next question, Morgan? We also talked about the sale of a house, um, our main primary residence, but then also a vacation home. What if your vacation home is a second home and it's not a rental? It's not something that you rent out to others. How would that affect it? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because what we talked about really was in that second home scenario, it was a rental home. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the complications around that. The cool part about having the second home, if it was never a rental, which we never did depreciation, we never did any of that. Remember that Tom talked about two out of five years. That was kind of a key um, equation that we have within the tax code. So basically, if I lived in my primary home, I had a vacation home that was not primary. And so it's out there. I use it from time to time, but I don't live there. I have my primary home. I live in that. I sell it. I don't pay any taxes on that money. I then move to the vacation home. I now make that my primary residence. If I live there for at least two out of the five years, then now if I sell that home, I go under that $250,000 and $500,000, um, in all essence, free growth, if you want to say it, no taxes. And that's the, the, the beauty of that is that we want to make sure that we uh, understand those tax codes. And that's another reason why I would say you'd want to talk to somebody um, either a financial planner or talk to a CPA and make sure that you look at all those different aspects when it comes to that. But Merce, I kind of want to bring it back to you. We've gotten a lot of clients who are thinking about all these things, buying a vacation home, buying um, or, or selling a primary home. How does that work within the retirement income plan? Yeah. Um, the, the retirement income plan is, you know, where we start. It's where we, it's, we monitor that process. And a lot of times we do have clients coming to us saying, you know, I've always dreamed of having a a second home, whether it's a beach house or a mountain house or whatever, how can that, uh, how can we think through that? So we'll put that in and say, well, you know, we're going to spend X on this house. How does that impact the overall retirement income plan? On the flip side, um, we can say, you know, I already have the house and I'm using that as a 
as a portion of my retirement planning because I'm not going to keep that house for un, until I'm uh, 90, 95, 100. At some point, I'm going to divest that house and all those those proceeds are going to come back into the retirement plan. So with the, the, the software and the way that we work with it, uh, we have a lot of leeway as, as far as the different scenarios that we can run, the different situations that we can kind of play through as far as uh, second home or, you know, we have a client that decided to sell their home and buy an RV and travel across the U.S. for uh, 10 planned years. Um, so we've been able to run many hypotheticals around that whole type of thought process of basically enjoying retirement. Okay, very good. What's our next question, uh, Morgan? We also discussed uh, dividends, how and when they're paid and taxed, um, but where or what are these dividends going to be coming from? So a lot of times, let's just talk about the topic of a stock. A stock um, could pay out a dividend. So you, let's say you've got a major uh, company and they say, if you own our stock, we are going to pay out a 2% dividend. So if I own uh, whatever amount of stock I own, I'm going to make 2% dividend. Forget about the growth of the stock that has nothing to do with this in the equation. It's all about the shares that I have and I'm gonna get 2% of that value that's gonna be distributed to me usually on an annual basis. So what happens is, is that those stocks, as they spin off that dividend, then that's I'm gonna get that as income even if I did not take it out of my account. Now, some people use dividends as an income source. The problem is dividends can change and we kind of, we don't really, when we talk about certain types of income, we call it uh, for especially our our guaranteed money or our essential money. We don't like counting dividend as a true income source because it can change. But as that money comes in, I'm going to be taxed on that. And just like Tom said in in the uh, in his interview, that that can usually going to be at a 15% bracket depending on how those dividends are paid out. Um, but we could also have dividends and a more complicated factor under mutual funds. Mutual funds can spin off dividends and we never even saw it hit the account. It was rolled with inside the mutual fund, yet we still get taxed. And that's probably the most frustrating thing I think folks tell us about. I say, like, wait a minute, I never sold the mutual fund. I never did anything, never saw it even go into my account, but yet I'm getting taxed on a dividend or a capital gain. And that's the issue with uh, mutual funds. That's why we usually will shy away from using mutual funds, especially for equities or stocks, because we don't want that frustration. And there's other reasons, but that's one of the reasons. So Merce, come back over when it comes to dividends, can we put that into the income plan? So we're not big on relying on dividends as part of the retirement income plan. Yes, do they happen? Uh, the the thing is, is that they're not as reliable as we would like them to be. So we don't count them as what Raiden said, a guaranteed income source. So go back to 2008, go into the current year of heavy volatility. At any given time, companies can cut those dividends. So that dividend paying portfolio that somebody may have can fluctuate significantly. So we don't rely on that. Um, so what we typically do in the retirement income plan is we just trust the asset and trust the growth in the asset to provide that income. And then we may divvy it up and say, you know, part of the assets are going to be invested in the market. And then we may have some other guaranteed income streams that we create kind of like a dividend, but it's guaranteed uh, very much like a pension that we would add into the plan to cover some, some future expenses that are fixed. We know it's going to be there and we can rely on it. All right. Very good. I hope that you are enjoying the show. 
By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. Morgan, our next question. Well, the other one, it was my father-in-law that kind of got me thinking about this, but he started taking his social security, but he's still working. I think he'll always work. He loves what he does. How does that affect him to still be working and taking his social security? So when we talked about the, he talked about the penalty of taking it early. That's really before what the social security administration calls full retirement age. Um, And your full retirement age for most people is today 66. If you're right now 66, it's usually 66. Now, if you're a little bit younger, they're doing months. So it could be 66 in two months, 66 in three months or four months. The, The point is, if we're not at that full retirement age, and I make more than, remember what Tom said, around $14,000 a year, mm-hmm. then they're going to take back or to reduce my Social Security benefit by 50% usually uh, is that reduction. So we always use the guideline of if we are going to re- take our Social Security before full retirement age, then work very part-time or not not work at all uh, the, the, because it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. But if I'm full retirement age, I can get my Social Security and I can make as much money as I want to make and I can get 100% of my Social Security with no penalties or fees. Now, I'm going to be taxed on that money, but I don't have to worry about it not it affecting me negatively. So um, I, here's a question I've got on that same topic, Merce, is when it comes to Social Security, how do you use the retirement income plan to determine is it better to take it at 62, 65, 66, 70? Yeah. Yeah. This is probably one of my favorite things to simulate is because, you know, it's a very common question. When is the right time to take Social Security? The government's out here saying that you need to wait till 70 to maximize Social Security, which is true. But the thing is, we have to look at the entire plan because uh, somebody can't wait till the majority can't wait till 70. And what are you going to do while you're waiting until 70 to turn on Social Security? you're going to draw down your own assets. So sometimes we have, we think through, you know, does it make sense to take it early at 62? Does it make sense to wait? Or does it make sense to wait even longer to 70? The software that we use in the retirement income plan, it lets us look through all those iterations. And the biggest question we ask is, at the end of the day, what's the effect on your assets? So if you take Social Security early, how does that leave you at, from an asset perspective, say at age 90? What if you take it at 66? What do your assets look like then? What if you take it at 70? How do they look then? And we run a comparison on those three because at the end of the day, it's not so much, you know, I, I want to get the most from the government. It's really not that the way, that's not really the way that we look at it. We look at it as what are we going to leave behind and how can we optimize our own retirement plan versus just following what every article says, which is wait till 70. So we look at it from a completely different, different perspective. And we've changed minds on the right, the right way to take Social Security because of how we look at it. All right, very good. Was there any other questions, Morgan? Nope, that was it. 
All right. Well, I've got one that I want to make sure that we recap on a little bit, and that was on the charities. Uh, I think that's a really big one that I want to make sure that it's really clear is that if I'm taking um, required minimum distributions, which today means I have to, if I'm, you know, if I'm turning 72 right now, I, I have to start taking a, a required minimum distribution. If, and, and I have to do that for the rest of my life out of that IRA. And sometimes people don't need that money. So there's really a couple different ways that they could handle that. Because you walk us through, Merce, like, okay, I might need the money. I might not need the money. I can use a charity. What, what are my options there when it comes to that? And how will you use that within the retirement income plan? Yeah, yeah. It's a big part of planning. Because um, ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to try to avoid as much tax as possible. So take the scenario of somebody who is already taking required minimum distributions, which is something that they have to take out of their IRA type accounts every single year, but they don't really need the money. So your options there are, well, I can take the money out and let's just go with the number. Let's say it's $40,000 that they were required to take out every single year. So you can take the money out, pay the taxes, and then put it into your checking account and spend it. You can take the money out, pay the taxes, reinvest it into a taxable account or an investment brokerage account, and then let that grow. The other option, which can be very tax advantageous. And if you're already doing it, it's an, it's a good way to do it is if you're, let's say throughout the year, you may give to charities anywhere, any, any amount, but let's say you throughout the year, you give $10,000 throughout the year to charities, different charities, whatever they are, you can take a portion or even all of your RMD and give that to the charity and that is now, it's because it's going to a charity, it's now tax-free. So let's go with that 10000 amount. And your required minimum is a total of $40,000 a year. And you give ten to charity through that required minimum. Now you're down to thirty. that's taxable versus the 40 that's taxable. Or let's say you want to give all of it to charity. That's going to take $40,000 off of your top income line. So let's say you make 100000 in a year because of your RMDs, and let's say you decide to give all 40 of that to, to a charity. Now, your, tag, your income has gone down from 100, basically to around 60, because you gave that entire amount to charity. So there's a lot of things that we can do with qualified, qualified charitable distributions. And I would say it's one of the biggest things that a lot of people don't realize they can even do. So, you know, going back to Tom Turner, that's a big part of what he does. He thinks through all the different at aspects of, you know, taxes and what you can do. And we, we help with that as well. So we have several clients that use that, um, that option with their RMDs. So just to kind of, you know, we call this episode retirement in action. And the reason why is there's so many different moving parts when it comes to retirement. Um, you know, we're just right now spending a few minutes talking about one aspect and that's taxes. And there's a tremendous amount of things to think through and, you know, Tom talked about his software for when, when it comes to tax planning. We rely heavily on our retirement income planning software. We believe that that is an essential part of a retirement plan. If you don't have a written retirement income plan, uh, it, can, it can really be change your overall retirement numbers massively. So we encourage all of you, uh, any of you that are close to, and we define close to within about 10 years of retirement or already in retirement, to make sure you have a written income plan. 
uh, because you can put all of those different variables in there. You can run a tremendous amount of what ifs. What if I do give the money to charity? What if I don't give it to charity? What if I take social security early? What if I don't take it early? All of that can be so easy once we get the numbers into the retirement income plan. So again, we encourage you to do that. We hope that this has been uh, beneficial and that we are able to have answered some questions that you might have. Thank you very much, Morgan and you, Merce, for being a part of this episode. And we look forward to having these each and every week. All right, everyone, that wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.